Welcome back to our current series, The Good Life. We've been talking about this life that Jesus promises us that we can have while we're waiting on his return. How many of you know Jesus is coming back? You sang it this morning, whether you believe it or not, you actually sang it. <laughs> so we're all believing that Jesus is coming back at any moment, and we're excited about that because then we'll get to spend eternity with him. Bluebell will have no calories, mosquitoes won't bite, and humidity, um, hu hu humidity will be non-existent. I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> and so, and then we'll have streets paved with gold, not with, with potholes. Come on, somebody. Right? <laughs> so we're waiting for Jesus to come back. But while we're waiting for Jesus to come back, we get to live this thing that he calls a good life. A good life. And you need to know that. And you need to expect that. And in fact, you need to make whatever changes are necessary to live that life. Because just by living the good life, it increases your ability to testify of God's goodness. Because people watch you more than they listen to you. Come on. How many of you know we live in a nosy world? Social media wouldn't be what it is today if we weren't nosy people. Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to get you confessing this morning. So people will learn a whole lot by watching you. Our key verse for this series is John chapter 10, verses 9 to 11. Jesus is talking, and he says something here. He says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. Say good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. So we've been talking about how Jesus makes these two claims about himself. Number one, he says, I'm the gate. The only way into this good life is through me, Jesus. There's no other way to heaven but through Jesus. There's no other way to experience the good life while we're on the planet unless you give your life to Jesus, which is going through the gate called Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the gate. Then Jesus makes the second claim about himself. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not just a regular shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. You see, when you're Jesus, you can brag on yourself a little bit. Come on, somebody. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that protects. I'm the one who sacrifices his life. I'm the one who provides. And I love it where it says they will come and go freely and will find good pastures. I believe as, as Christians we're supposed to be living in good pastures because we got the good shepherd. Come on, somebody. You're going to really have to get this today because I'm telling you this series is God wanting it to set us free from some things and get us all the way into the pasture. Good pastures. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this word. I pray that you speak to all of us this morning. I pray we hear heaven today. Lord, I know that, that by your spirit and by your word, you'll meet every one of us exactly where we are today. So we trust that. We thank you for this good life that we get to live. Help us to embrace it. Help us to take hold of it and help us to walk into it. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I want to show you how, I want, I want you to see how seed used properly produces something in us. And so the title of my message today is Jesus gives seed to the sower. Jesus gives seed to the sower. He gives seed to who? The sower. It doesn't say that he gives seed to the non-sower, right? Jesus gives seed to sowers, okay. Let me start off this way this morning. I've, I've heard some pretty amazing excuses over my time as a pastor of, of people trying to justify not being generous or, or generous or giving. I've heard many excuses about tithing. I've heard many excuses about offerings and generosity across the board. And I just want to give you my top five. Can I just give you my top five excuses? I think they're hilarious now. I used to get really offended by them. I just go, now I go, okay, that's just where you're at. Like you just told me your whole life script with your excuse. Some of y'all caught that. My top five excuses. Number one, I can't afford to give. And as a generous person, I go, wait, what? You can't afford, you, what you, you can't afford to give? Number two, I didn't know I was supposed to. Number three, things got tight and we stopped tithing. Here's the good one. Number four, oh, pastor, I forgot to. 
Like how many rice farmers make it when they forget to put seed in the ground? I'm just saying, it's the fastest way to go broke. Oh, shoot, it was sowing season. I forgot. Number five, this one really gets me. The church seems to have enough. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's not a, a lot of laughs here this morning. It got me worried. Some of these might have hit some of you. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get out of that today. I'm going to change your mind about generosity. That's my top five excuses that I hear. And I always try to encourage people. I don't try to put people in a, a headlock and make them give. And I hope you understand that about me. I've never been that type of person. Nobody had to do that to me. I gave because God did something in my heart. Nobody forced me to give. I started giving. And then when I started giving, I started realizing that this, this whole thing about sowing and reaping is real. And then it was just the whole principle itself that got me and Cheryl just to keep on giving. What's funny about these excuses is that I can go to Walmart, I can go to Circle K, I can stand at a gas pump, and somebody can pull up on the other side, and we can look at each other and say, good morning, good morning. And if we, if we, we want to talk, all of a sudden, stuff starts coming out. It's either the president, it's usually the gas prices, right? But then there's always these excuses. Here's what's funny, but it's not funny, is I've heard these same excuses at the gas pump that I'm hearing in the church house. And that's a problem because you are born again. You divorced this world and you've been adopted into heaven, which means you don't have a legal right to use those excuses anymore because that's not who you are anymore. You're a person who has hope. You're a person who has a purpose and a future. There's no reason for us to be using excuses like that. People catch more from you than they hear from you. So believers shouldn't be using the same excuses the world does when it comes to generosity. So today I'm going to change your mind, and the Holy Ghost is going to change your mind about generosity. He's just going to use a, a big, bald-headed guy to do it. Yeah, pretty, pretty quiet church this morning. I'm not nervous, though. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9, the whole, the whole message. Let me tell you what's going to happen today. I'm going to preach a message on generosity, and then we're going to wrap up this message, and then we're going to have an opportunity to pull some kids out of poverty at the end of service today. If you notice the big banners everywhere you turn today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to adopt a kid and to pull that kid out of poverty in Jesus' name today. I'm not going to do it by pressure. I'm not going to try to manipulate you. I'm going to present you with God's word. I'm going to teach you about sowing and reaping. And then I'm just going to give you an opportunity to put some seed in some good ground. This is good ground. I don't bring bad ground into the church house. Cheryl and I have been, have been given to compassion for years. I think we're on our second or third kid. And those kids only get out when they, when they age out, when they make it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Jesus is talking. <clears throat> actually, it's Paul. Paul's talking to um, the Corinthians about giving. Paul's talking to the Corinthians about giving. Listen to what he says. He's talking to the Corinthians about what he's been telling the Macedonians, and this is his letter to the Corinthians, and he says this, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many, many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I would send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. Watch this last sentence. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Boy, there's a whole lot of stuff right there. A willing gift, not a grudging gift. 
So Paul's saying a few things to the Corinthians. He's saying, I, I really don't even need to write you about this ministry of giving, like because Paul believed they already had it. In fact, Paul had confidence that they had this generosity thing under control, that it was a part of who they were. He had so much confidence in it that he was bragging to the Macedonians about the Corinthians' generosity. And when he's bragging about the Corinthians' generosity, it stirred up and provoked the Macedonians to start giving themselves. You see? So Paul was confident that they had the generosity thing down pat. He was confident that they were given willingly and not grudgingly because they had it ready a year ago. Wow. I find that amazing. But he wants to make sure that they're ready. And I go, well, you got confidence that they're generous, but you're going to send some guys to make sure that their gift is already collected and that they're ready. What are you trying to do? If you're going to send some, some Macedonian representatives to Corinthians or to, the, to Corinth to pick up the gift and you're writing them in advance to make sure that the gift is already collected, Paul's trying, in my opinion, Paul's trying to teach the Macedonians what it looks like to have a generous heart that is willing and not grudging. Because when you're willing, you're already ready. When you're grudging, you're scurrying to get ready. Paul didn't want the Macedonians to go to Corinth and see them trying to collect money and, and pressuring people. Come on, herb and give, herb and give. Why? You weren't ready. You weren't ready. In fact, you weren't even thinking about it. I'm not a Disney fan by any means, but some people like Disney. If you told your kids, we're going to Disney, would you have to really push them real hard to pack their bags? Would you have to really beat them to wake them up to go the morning you're supposed to leave? No, in fact, it's the opposite way. They'll probably pack your bags, and they'll probably wake you up in the morning to get you to get in the car on time so you can see Mickey Mouse on time. Why? Because they're anticipating something. They're expecting something. They're cheerful about something. Your attitude towards giving says more about you than it does the gift. Paul says, I've been bragging on you guys. <laughs> Don't let me down. <laughs> so you see, generosity is contagious. Do you realize that your generosity can stir up someone else's generosity? Especially your children's generosity. As parents, we should be generous examples to our kids. Amen? I brainwashed my kids when they were young. We would sneak to the neighbor's house. We called it an undercover mission. We would sneak over to the neighbor's house when I lived in the subdivision. And we, before the sun would come up, I'd get them up early. We'd go to the neighbor's house, and we'd wash their car. And we'd dry it off before they got up to drink their coffee. And then we'd sneak back to the house. And I made a big old thing about it. Why? Because I wanted them to understand what generosity looks like. So Paul's taking this generosity thing to a very serious place, so much so that he's sending people to make sure that the gift is ready before these other guys get there. I think he was trying to get the Macedonians to have a great first experience receiving a gift. I mean, you know, the first impression is the greatest impression. So Paul understood the generosity thing so much that he was sending folks ahead to make sure it was ready before this other group of people got there to receive it. Is that making sense? And then he lays down that sentence where I want you to be, I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Not one given grudgingly. Do you know attitude can be picked up like you can, you can walk into a room and pick up somebody's attitude. Think I'm lying. Go into the house and, and, and your wife didn't have a good day. She ain't got to say a word. Come on, man, you know what I'm talking about. You feel it. You walk in, the air's thick. 
Let your kids have a bad attitude. I don't, they don't need to tell me or show me that they have a bad I can sense it, right? So it is with generosity. How many of you have ever had somebody do something for you and it was grudging? Example, hey, I need you to take the garbage out. Oh, dragging it all over. You're going to spill. You're going to bust the bag. That's not a cheerful heart. I don't care what you say. I'm glad you did it, but you need to change your attitude. Amen? I think Paul was trying to get the attitude to transfer over to the Macedonians. More than the money, he wanted the attitude right because when the attitude's right, attitude's right, the heart is right. When the heart is right, the seed is good. Ah, yeah, yeah. So I believe what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, interesting verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, listen to what Paul said. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, what he said right before that was that Jesus said that. So he was quoting Jesus. Here's what's interesting. Jesus never said that in the Gospels. Paul, we know, had a revelation of Jesus. He spent some intimate time with Jesus. Paul heard Jesus say that directly. Watch this. Jesus taught Paul about generosity. He taught Paul that you're the most blessed when you give. Like it's better to give than to receive. Why is that? How is that? How is that possible? That's what I hope to help you understand today. How is that possible? Second Corinthians 9, just go with me to verse 6, 6 to 9. Are y'all cold? No? Everybody's good? I mean, I sweat no matter what, so y'all good? Okay. They, they actually had the heater on this morning. Like, I don't even know why we have heaters. Can I get a witness in the place? Come on, somebody. I got anybody got a ministry of sweat? <laughs> 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6 to 9. Here we go. Remember this. Now watch Paul. Paul kind of shifts his, his explanation here. He says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in whose heart? Your heart. Come on, track with me. <clears throat> in your heart, how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need. Wait, what? What? Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That, my friends, is not a poverty mentality. That's the good life. <laughs> As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. So watch this. Few seeds equal a small crop. Lots of seeds equal a large crop. You want a small crop or a large crop? It's really up to you. And if you plant nothing, you get weeds. So watch this. This is what's incredible is we get to control this. I get, I get to control this myself. I can be a generous sower and receive a generous crop, or I can be a tight sower and receive a tight crop. I decide in my heart. The decision comes from my heart, not my pocketbook. Ah. Some of you are letting your checkbook determine your generosity. <laughs> it has to be decided in your heart. 
You shouldn't give under pressure. Because God wants a cheerful giver. In other words, he wants somebody with the right attitude. He wants someone with the right heart. If your attitude and your heart ain't right, then he's not done working on you yet. And he don't want you to give until your attitude and your heart's right. Now, I know some folk can, can get, get a little facetious and, and hide behind that, well, my heart's just not right yet. Well, bro, after five years, like something needs to change. You might need to get born again again. Born again again. Y'all caught that? <laughs> you might need to get born again again. <laughs> some, some ain't clicking. He wants a cheerful giver. So how do we get to a place where we're cheerful to give? How do we get to the place where our heart and our attitude is right to give? How do we get there? I'm glad you're asking these questions. Let me tell you how Cheryl and I got there. Cheryl came from the Catholic Church. I came from the Baptist Church. Catholics don't generally give as, as much as others do. Baptists, you're born to give. <laughs> it's just the way it rolls, seriously. So my wife was Catholic. I was Baptist. We got married. We both had a job, good-paying jobs. We, we had a college to pay for, two new cars to pay for, a brand-new house to pay for, and Virginia was born. And then we messed up and prayed. And the Lord said, I want Cheryl to quit working. So our income was cut in half. I said, we need to give. She's like, wait, what? <laughs> what do you mean? We need? I said, we need to start tithing. Well, what do you mean? I said, the first 10% of my check every week needs to come out and be set aside for tithes on Sunday. Is this a Baptist thing? It's a Bible thing. <laughs> it's a Bible thing. Like, trust me. <laughs> so we didn't start out tithing with a cheerful heart. We gave with a very nervous heart. Some of you can relate to that. We gave with a very scary heart. We gave, we gave from a place of, we were, we were newly married. We were still trying to figure out how to trust each other. And Cheryl was newly converted, so we were trying to figure out how to trust God. But we just did what the Bible said, and we took 10% of our check, and we gave it to the church on Sunday mornings. In fact, we took, I made sure she took the first 10%, and, and we gave it to the church. And so Cheryl was struggling. Like, she was, if she was here, she would tell you the story. She was struggling. I would get my check, and she would go to the bank. This is how she did it. She would go to make the deposit. But she would cash out the tithe first. So she would get the cash from the check, I mean the tithe in cash. She would take it, stick it in an envelope, and stick it in the bottom of her purse. She was trying to get it out of her mind. On paper, it wasn't working. The budget said no. The checkbook said you're stupid. But God's word said trust me. So we had to make a decision. Am I going to trust God or am I not going to trust God? And we started off giving nervously. Like, oh, God. And the first week, the first week, we give a tithe. We're short. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like the first week? Like we couldn't get six deep and then, and then get short. Like the first week? Like really? Like she's never going to trust me, Lord. She calls me up. She says, we're short. Told you. She calls me a little later and says, you ain't going to believe what happened. I said, try me. We just got a reimbursement check that we're not supposed to get. She was on the phone with her doctor arguing that they overpaid her. I walked in the house. I said, you better hang that phone up, woman. People going to give you money. You don't talk them out of it. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I tried three times. I said, yeah, I wouldn't have tried once. I said, you take the check, you deposit it. You pull the tithe. And from that day on, we've learned to be cheerful givers. It didn't all happen overnight. It happened as we learned to trust. Trust each other and then trust the Lord. You see, we knew what the Bible said, and we believed it was good to obey the Bible. Well, that's, that was rich right there. <laughs> I'm just telling you. That was like, that was, that was gold. I just handed you gold. Some of you didn't know what you had in your hands. 
Like we just believed the Bible and we believed it was good to obey the Bible. And so over time, we became cheerful givers. In fact, every year I love to see, this is not prideful, this is just a testament of how God's changed my heart, our heart. We love to see how much we were able to give this year. You go, wow, we did better than last year. Wow. We've consistently been in the top 10 givers of this campus. And I'm happy about that. Because just because I'm a pastor don't mean I'm broke. I'm not a poor, poor, pitiful me pastor. And that's why I'm not up here begging you for money every Sunday so that I can live a better life because I don't need your money. You need to give your money to God so that God can do something in you. God is my provider. You are not. So I release you from being my provider, and I'm not even bound to you being my provider. Does everybody feel better now? (laughs) God's been taking care of me and Cheryl for 23 years. We're good, but we're happy. I'm happy that I get to give. I'm, I'm happy that Cheryl and I have been able to, and our kids have been able to adopt kids with compassion for, I think, about 15 years now. We've been through three kids. I think I told you this already. Been through three kids. We helped three kids in a different country come out of poverty. I've never met the kids. They write me letters sometimes. I always wanted to write back. I never did. I hear cool stories about people who write back. It's really great. I just never wrote back. I just kept sending the money. Like, I'm just, buddy, I'm just, uh, I'm, I want to write back. I'm just happy I get to be a part of it. I'm happy that I get to be a part of what God's doing with my finances, that my finances get to be a part of the kingdom. I'm just happy about that. You see, God gives to those who are generous so they will continue to be generous. I want you to notice what the end of those verses said. It said this. It said, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered for how long? Forever. You know what that tells me? That people will forget a lot of things about you, but they won't forget your generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Here's my key verse for the series, for the uh, sermon today, message. Listen to this one. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. So that word provide right there is the word supply. Now, I want you to think in agriculture terms with me for a minute. I want you to shift your mind there for a minute. God is the supplier of the seed. He supplies the seed to the farmer or sower. I, as a believer, am the farmer. So God supplies me with seed, and then I'm responsible to sow the seed. You see it? When he drops off the seed, the seed becomes my responsibility now, and it's under my care, my supervision, and my responsibility. So whatever I decide to do with the seed is what I get in return. If I sow it generously, I get generous. If I sow it sparingly, I get sparing. If I don't sow it all and I eat up all the seed, I get weeds. Then you got to go bush hog. Right? So God is the one who supplies the seed. He supplies it to the sower. But that's not all. Did you catch what else happens? For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. Oh, what is God supplying? Seed and bread to eat. Seed is for the ground, bread is for your belly. Come on, is that OSC kids enough? (laughs) Seed is for the ground, bread is for the belly. Come on, some of you, you know, bread sticks to the belly. So he supplies seed and bread, 
And they're two different things. Let's, let's unpack that for a minute. He gives seed to the farmer. Then he, then he has a, a specific purpose for the seed, and it's to produce a harvest. Seed has a purpose to produce harvest. Now catch this. Harvest in the ground, but harvest in the farmer. You see, God's all about the harvest in the ground, but let me tell you what he really gets excited about when there's a harvest produced inside of you. Ah, when you go from being a nervous giver to a cheerful giver. He's trying to get a harvest inside of you. God is the supplier. We are the farmers. How we handle the seed determines how the seed goes. We have to handle the seed with care. The seed has to be sown intentionally, not flippantly. You throw seed in the parking lot, it's not sprouting up. My son, he's known for not keeping a very clean truck. I don't know who he gets that from. Not from me because I clean trucks. My son had a bunch of junk in the back of his truck. It was deer season. He had a bag of deer corn in the back of his truck. Now, winter came and winter left. Spring came. And we're getting close to summer. I look in the back of his truck. This brother got corn coming up out the back of his truck. Is that handling the seed good or handling the seed bad? He was not a good, responsible farmer with the seed, right? He's producing a harvest in the bed of his truck. You have to be intentional with the seed, and it's hard to kill a deer if you don't put the seed, the corn on the ground. Anyway. Number six, seed is intended for the ground, not your pocket. Number seven, if the farmer mishandles the seed, it's not the fault of the supplier. It's the farmer's fault. So we got Christians who are mad at God because they're broke or they're struggling. And God's going, what you talking about? I gave you seed and I gave you bread. What'd you do with it? I dropped it off at your house. What'd you do with it? You're mad at me. You didn't care for the seed. You didn't care for the bread. Come on now. Don't get too quiet on me. So it's not the supplier's fault. Ah, it's the farmer's fault. Hmm. Let's talk about bread for a minute. Bread's something that's already harvested. Number two, it is, it is for your nourishment. Watch this, to give you strength. It's hard to be a good farmer if you're weak. So he gives us bread to give us strength so we can be better farmers. Number three, the bread should be handled with intentionality as well. Number four, we have to care for this as well. No wasting the bread. Watch this. Or no over-consuming the bread. Number five, while the seed is for others, bread is for us. And then number six, we have to understand which is seed and which is bread. Let me just show you something real quick. If this doesn't show you how much God cares about you, I don't know what else will. So he's not a God that's just giving you seed to sow in the ground for other people and not willing to provide for you also. He's the God who has you on his mind as well as others on his mind. That's why he gave you seed to sow and bread to eat. So the devil's been trying to convince you that if you sow the seed, you're going to starve. That's not the way God's system works. God takes care of his farmers. Let me tell you why. Because a skinny farmer can't sow seed, and a fat farmer can't sow seed very well. The skinny farmer can't sow seed because he doesn't have the strength to go out in the field and sow it. A fat farmer can't sow seed because he don't have the motivation to go out and sow the seed. He's too busy consuming the seed. Now, just for the record, I didn't call anybody skinny or fat. We're all just right, amen? 
don't want nobody leaving mad at Pastor called me fat. <laughs> Going to that skinny church. I wonder how many times the seed gets misplaced because we don't understand the difference between seed and bread. I wonder when we get the shipment from God, if we go, oh, I got a lot of bread this week. We're going to eat good today, baby. Come on, you know how it is. You get a little extra money, what you buying? You ain't buying flank steak, you buying ribeyes. Come on, somebody. Got to beat that steak half to death to get it to cut with a knife. He puts all that in your hands, but he, he expects us to, to know the difference between seed and bread. And if you don't know the difference, you can't live under that excuse either. All you have to do is ask. God, how much of this is bread and how much of this is seed? In fact, I'll tell you, he already set it up for us. In fact, when it comes to tithing, he says 10% is seed, 90% is bread. Another indication how much he loves you. You get to keep 90%. But he just wants you to return with a good attitude 10%. love financial messages. It's just the most shout-me-down kind of a Sunday. Whoo! But I'm going to tell you right now, you get some seed popping up out the ground, you're going to start shouting. You'll start dancing. You'll get all indignified just, just dancing because you got some seed. When you finally put a seed in the ground and it sprouted up, you're going to be like, whoa, this works. So I might not get the residual from this message today. You might not shout me down today. I'm going to catch you in a month or two. In Jesus' name. So I wonder how many times the seed gets misplaced because we don't understand the difference between the two. So there's more. Look at that verse again. It says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way he does that, he will provide or supply and increase your resources, and then produce a great harvest of generosity where? In you. So he's going to give you seed and he's going to give you bread and he expects you to be responsible with him. If you're responsible with the seed and the bread, then he's going to come back and he's going to increase that. So if you've got 10 pounds of seed and then and a, 100 pounds of bread, this time, if you're a steward of it, if you use it correctly and you're intentional with it, then when he comes back again, he's going to bring you 20 pounds of seed and more bread. What's he doing? He's increasing you. Why? Because he knows you're learning how to put the seed in the ground. I'm just trying to build your expectation. I'm just trying to teach you something that's going to help you understand this good life that we're supposed to be living. This isn't a name it, claim it, frame it kind of message, but you do need to understand that God wants to increase you, and there's nothing wrong with being increased. In fact, it's part of your testimony. It's not something that you can even brag about because you're not the supplier. You're just the sower. So this whole generosity process is a very humiliating process. In other words, it makes you humble because you realize he's the one dropping the seed and the bread. I just have to be responsible with it. If I'm responsible, then he gives me more to be responsible for. Oh, come on. And then he says this, and the great harvest, like the great harvest of this whole thing, is what gets produced in you. So let me see if I can give it to you this way and I'm going to start trying to bring it to a wrap. So because Jesus gives seed to the sower, some things start to happen. Let me give you 10 things that happen when Jesus starts giving seed to the sower. Number one, he becomes the supplier. You start to identify him as the supplier, as the source. Number one, he becomes our supplier. Number two, we learn how to receive. Because some of you got some receiving issues.
I said, some of you got some receiving issues that are rooted in pride. My wife had that, that, that same pride rooted in her. One day, she, and she, she traced it back to one time she was at the store with her daddy, and the chip man was there, and she's this cute little long-haired girl, long-haired girl, and she didn't have a long head. She, she got long legs, but not a long head. She, her, he's walking in with this cute little girl, and the chip man goes, here you go, baby. You want a bag of chips? And she reaches out to take it, and her daddy slaps her hand and says, no, we don't take that from people. Seed of pride got sowed into my wife that day. Well, praise God, it's broken now. Sometimes we have a receiving issue that God wants to deal with. Can't nobody help you. Can't nobody go with you. Can't nobody do it for you. Am I speaking to anybody today? Show sure is quiet. So we learn how to receive. He's the supplier. We learn how to receive. Number three, we learn the difference between seed and bread. That's what's really cool about this whole process is you get to, do, to learn what's the difference between seed and bread. What, what part of this do I get to eat and what part of this do I get to sow? Now remember, when, he's, when you're a good steward of it, he increases the seed and the bread. I like small bread. <laughs> Come on, somebody. So we get to learn the difference between seed and bread. Number four, then we get to put the seed in the ground and wait. And this is where you learn patience, little people. We get to learn how to wait. I don't know. I don't know if the seed's going to come up. I've spent thousands of dollars on ryegrass, threw it out in the middle of a cattle pasture and went, and every day I'm looking. Bro, I, don't, I think I just wasted a couple thousand. Oh, the next day. It's still not coming up. Oh. Drove myself crazy waiting for that one little hair-thin piece of ryegrass. I mean, eventually I'm on all four going, it's got to be there somewhere. And I seen one, I'm like, yes! One took seed. <laughs> so we get to put the seed in the ground. Let me tell you something, this is exciting. Because when you go to sow a seed, this, let me just give you a little free recommendation. When you go to sow seed, don't just run out in the city and just start throwing money everywheres. Grab your seed and your spouse and your kids, get together and say, Lord, we thank you for this seed. Would you show us where to sow it? Would you show us exactly where to sow this seed? And we pray your blessing over this seed. Cheryl and I recently did this. I told this, I told this to some of you a couple weeks ago. We sowed $1,000 into a place. We had a seed, felt like we needed to sow it. We sat down, she had her computers up, she had everything in the system. All she had to do was hit send. She said, we need, she, she said, we need to pray over this one. I said, okay. So we grabbed hands, we prayed, just like I told you. Amen. Send. Two weeks later, debt cancellation. An enormous amount of debt was wiped off the table. I didn't ask for it. I didn't apply for it. It hit me out of the blue. You pray over the seed, and you sow it intentionally where God tells you to sow it, and watch what happens. Number five, when that seed bursts through the ground, we get to take part in the process. We get to watch the seed grow. Number six, we get to share in God's glory. That means you get to be a part of God's glory. You don't get to take it. You just get to be associated with it. Oh, that's good stuff. I mean, it's like, like you get to go, like, yeah, I was a part of that. Me and Cheryl, we, we sowed that seed. We were fist bumping. Now, don't tell me when two weeks later that debt was canceled that we've been praying for for three years. This big brother was dancing. I'm going to tell you right now, good thing there was no video cameras. I was dancing. Why? Because I'm going to celebrate over putting seed in the ground, but I'm also going to celebrate over a harvest. Okay. Number seven, because we sowed the seed and didn't waste it, he then gives us more. 
you get to learn about increase. Number eight, then we get to be even more generous. This is getting me giddy. Like, I'm, I'm like, Phew, you should be getting excited. I get to be even more generous. Then number nine, the process continues. Like, there's no end to it. Like, God's willing to go all the way. Like, increase you until you die. Wait, what? You got to go beg for a raise from your boss. But the father says, if you just take what I give you, put it in the ground and eat it properly, I'll keep giving you more, I'll keep giving you more, I'll keep giving you more, and you won't have to beg me for it. I'll just make sure because I keep good records that I'll just keep, I'll make sure I'll keep increasing you, keep increasing you, keep increasing you. And the only way it stops is if you ever quit sowing or you ever quit receiving. And both of those things are rooted in pride. That's the only way it stops. Did you catch that? The number 10. Now generosity becomes what we're known for. Generosity becomes what I'm known for. And when you're generous God's way, you don't need to promote yourself. You don't need to boast in yourself. You don't need to post it, frame it, all those other things. You just need to do it and then move on and let God promote you. And let God make you famous. And let God build your reputation. Come on, somebody. Generosity becomes part of who I am. This is part of my righteousness. It's one part of righteousness is generosity. A born-again believer should be generous. It's, it's part of the fruit of being born again. Amen? Okay, verse 11 to 15, and I'm going to wrap it up. Because there's even more. And y'all thought Santa Claus was cool. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 to 15. In fact, I wish more people would teach people about, teach their kids about Jesus than Santa Claus because more kids know about Santa Claus than they know about Jesus, and Jesus is way more generous than Santa Claus. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 to 15. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gift to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Verse 15, thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. What is that gift? That was my question when I was writing this message. What is that gift, God? What is this gift that is too wonderful for words? You want to know what it is? How many of y'all want to know what that gift is? Okay, that's not the majority, so I'm not going to tell you. That word gift in the Greek is the word doria. It's where we get our word gratuity. It's a tip. It's a just because. It's something you didn't earn, something you didn't strive for. It's a just because. You know what the gift is? I just described it to you, but you know what it actually is? It's now I get to have the character of Jesus. That's a gift too wonderful for words. That I get to possess the character of Jesus. In other words, my generosity and my stewardship of my bread it equals me becoming more like Jesus than ever before. It's a gift too wonderful for words. So we get Jesus' character in this whole process. Come on, worship team. C'est bon?
How many of you want the character of Jesus? How many of you want people to see Jesus in you without you saying a word? They just see him in you. Like, man, that, that dude got some Jesus, bruh. You're never more like Jesus than when you're generous. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for this message. I thank you that it was serious enough to put in the Bible. I thank you that you inspired man to write this in your book, in the book that we would live our lives according to. That God, this particular point would be a point that more people would see you and more people would understand you and more people would get a revelation of you than probably any other point in the Bible. It's because we hold money as, as, as such a high place. God, I remember my boss that came to church and he just started tithing and you started doing miracles in his finances and he was blown away by that. Before he was ever blown away about, about a message or about anything else, he was blown away by what you did in his finances. God, blow us away. Blow us away, Lord. Say this with me. Say, Lord, change my mind. I give you permission. Change my mind about generosity. Show me how this thing works. And I'll celebrate it the whole time. Now, Father, we bless you and we thank you. I thank you that this is a generous church. We're not stingy. We're not greedy. We're not holding anything back. At times we've believed lies. And we've gotten complacent, lazy. I pray, God, we get excited to give. We anticipate giving, Lord, like never before. Produce a great harvest of generosity inside of all of us, Lord. May we be more like Jesus than ever before. We're generous. Thank you. Jesus.